This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. What a great morning. What a great thing. If you've never been to Global Leadership Summit, it's like the best training you can imagine on IMAX. We have a screen that we bring in that pretty much fills this entire opening. Um, And there'll be uh, more than 200 people in our audience from more than 60 different organizations in this surrounding area. And by the way, I like to look at it like this, because many of us will think, well, I don't lead on that level, so what could there be there for me? Without a doubt, the biggest things that I take away from Global Leadership Summit every year have to do with what goes on inside here. If you want to become a better version of yourself, then you come to Global Leadership Summit and I guarantee you, you will learn things that will help you become a better version of the person you currently are. So that's what that's all about. Uh, normally, I've gone to a lot of trainings at, at a corporate level and if you get two days of training from 8.30 in the morning till 5 o'clock in the afternoon, You're going to pay multiple hundreds of dollars for that training. And the fact that you can get it right here in our own auditorium for $89 is a flat-out steal. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. So there's uh, three ways that you can sign up. Um, You can go out to um, our lobby. There's a kiosk out there that will walk you through the process. Um. You can, I'll give you permission to do this right now. You can do it on your phone right now. If you want to pull up the Global Leadership Summit, actually pull up our church's website, click down on the latest, find the Global Leadership Summit page, and you'll get the special New Life rate. Um, And there's a special password for that. Um, This is what, uh, no, Diva didn't tell you to On the inside of your program, pull out this sheet of paper because there's one other thing I want to say to you and then I'll get into the teaching for the morning. And that is, it takes a lot of volunteers to to put on this training. And a lot of people think, well, I don't have August 8 and 9 where I can take all day and work as a volunteer. There's, There's probably 20 different ways that you can be a part of it. And some of them you come in on evenings, and some of them you're only here for an hour or two during the day. And we have all of that organized in a nice uh, brochure outside. And we've set up a sign-up genius that you can go online and sign up for days and time slots and so forth. Uh, So it would be awesome if we had 30 or 40 people who said, yeah, I could come and spend an hour or two and make a big difference and be part of hosting this. So uh, you can see all that information is on this piece of paper. And if you have questions, you can find somebody that has a shirt that looks like this, that has a GLS logo up here, and they should know all the answers. Good enough? Yeah, right. All right. It's going to be a great time. So Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this morning. For those of you who are brand new, we are wrapping up uh, a series that we have called The Blessing. And this is the fourth week in this series. And today we're going to talk about what it means to be 
to be and to live empowered by the blessing. And we're going to look at this through the lens of an event that took place in the life of Jesus. And there are things that we're going to learn in this, in this journey through the life of Jesus that were new to me and probably are going to be new to everyone uh, who's in our audience this morning. But we started this by saying, what if there's something that we could receive that would change everything? And we put up these, the, these slides and said, you know, we all have a personal culture. Wouldn't it be great if we could live more like Superman and less like Pigpen? Yeah. Well, there's a way in which the blessing does that. And then we went on to say, what would it look like if we dealt in the currency of the blessing? If you and I envisioned our hearts as sort of emotional wallets. And what if the people in our world kept stuffing into our emotional wallet this thing called the blessing? And they blessed us. And what if we, in our interchanges with the people in our world would put blessing into their emotional wallet. How different would our world look if we were giving and receiving the blessing and that was the currency that we used in our everyday interactions with each other. And then last week we talked about how can we live the blessing so that we can give the blessing and we used this picture that of something we've all seen of the bucket that fills and then tips and dumps on everybody. We talked about wholeness and wellness and what life would look like if our bucket were continually being filled with this wonderful wholeness and wellness to the point that we could tip over and splash it out on the lives of everyone else in our world. And today, we're going to talk about how to be empowered by the blessing. Now, if this all intrigues you, particularly those of you who are parents of children who are still at home, but actually everything in this book applies to, do you want to give the blessing to your spouse in your marriage? Well, you should. Do you want to give the blessing to your adult kids? Would you like to be able to regularly give the blessing to your friends, to your fellow students, to your roommates, to your coworkers, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren? Well, if that intrigues you, I would recommend you get this book. It's called The Blessing. And it will actually give you a fuller picture of what this might look like. So today we're going to talk about how can we be empowered by the blessing. And I want to tell you two stories before we jump into the life of, well, one before and one after. So I want to tell you the story of a a young kid who was born in a suburb of Minneapolis and grew up uh, in a home there in the suburbs of Minneapolis. And his dad was a singer, songwriter, jazz pianist, who started out pretty good in his career, but eventually his career flamed out, uh, and he failed as a musician, and, uh, and that brought lots of struggle into his life. So as this little boy grew up, he began to beg his dad... Dad, teach me to play the piano. I want to play the piano like you do. And in spite 
of all of his, his requests, the answer was always the same. No. Now, no one knows why for sure. It could be that the music career was so painful for his dad that he simply didn't want that for his kid. It could be that when he sat down to the piano, it brought back all sorts of painful memories. It was just too hard for the dad. No one knows for sure. But he would never teach his son to play the piano. Moving ahead in the story... The boy is about 12, and they're in church. And for the first time ever in his life, the boy has a seizure. And of course, it's embarrassing. But the story gets a little worse because in this church, all seizures were considered satanic activity. And the 12-year-old son was told, this is an attack from Satan. And the only way out of it is for you to pray. You got to pray your way out. In spite of his childlike faith, in spite of his total belief in God, the seizures did not stop. And every time the answer was the same. Son, you have to pray. And you have to mean it when you pray. And you have to believe. Now think about that with me for a minute. That's a heavy load to put on a 12-year-old kid. So here's a 12-year-old kid who's now struggling with seizures and everything that goes with that. He's now living without the approval of his parents because they're telling him, you've got to pray your way out of this. He's now living without the approval of his pastor Because his pastor is saying to him, you have to pray your way out of this. And by extension, he's living without the approval of God. Because somehow God won't answer his prayer. There's no blessing there. Well, that young boy grew up and eventually went to see a medical doctor and got help that he needed, medical help to stop the seizures. And he went on to become the musical artist that you and I know as Prince. Now those who knew him best often wondered. Because if you know anything about Prince, he not only learned how to play the piano, he learned how to play guitars, he learned how to play drums, he learned how to play virtually every instrument And those who knew him best often wondered if he spent the rest of his life and was so tormented and tension-filled because he was trying to prove his father wrong. This being empowered by the blessing, and not just of our parents, but of God and of the people around us is truly, truly a powerful thing. Now today, we're going to look at it through the lens of a story in Jesus' life. But before I tell you the story, I I want to tell you something that happened in a community group that I belong to. 
um, and that blesses my life. And it's one of the reasons why pretty much everything we do in our church is built around groups. Because you can get lost in a crowd, but in a group, you can process where life really happens. And one of the people in my community group casually said in the middle of one of our discussions, I can't wait until I get the mind of Jesus and never ever have an impure thought again. I'm so tired of them. And I said, I don't want to shake you up, but Jesus had impure thoughts. And I thought she was going to fall out of her chair. Somehow Jesus just fell off of his throne in her life. And she looked at me with this wild and crazy, like, what do you mean? He's God. I said, oh, yeah. But you know, the Bible clearly says that he was tempted just like we are. What's a temptation? Isn't that a nasty thought? Pretty sure it is. And if Jesus was tempted, just like you and I, then guess what? He had nasty thoughts, just like you and me. And that caused me to do some other thinking and to realize that I think sometimes we idolize Jesus and we, we, we picture the redacted version of his life. Now, don't, before you throw me out of the church, I didn't say Jesus sinned, okay? That's the amazing part. Anybody could live sinless if you weren't tempted. That's not hard. It's the fact he was tempted. And that caused me to think a little bit. You know, Christmas is a great time and we all celebrate the birth of Jesus. But in, I guess in my mind, I always thought Jesus always knew he was the son of God. Huh? And then it struck me the day he was born. He did not look at his mother and say, as the son of God, Mary, thank you so very much for all you've done for me. He was a kid who couldn't say a word. Now somewhere along the way, it began to be revealed to him who he was. And he got a consciousness of it. I don't know how God did all that stuff. But I do know that part of what Jesus experienced in that growing up process and in that maturing process is the same stuff that you and I go through all the time. And so at the beginning of his career, when he was 30 years of age and he was about ready to launch his career as a rabbi and a teacher who was going to change the world, at the beginning of it, he had all the same thoughts that you and I have. And that is, am I going to be any good at this? How do I know I'm going to succeed? It wasn't just that he was, dude, I'm God. I can't fail. No, there was the whole human side of him. And so what I'm going to teach us today is part of that whole process that Jesus went through. And we're going to look at it in, in the light of three basic questions 
that many people would say are the three biggest questions that every human being faces. And how we answer those questions to a great degree determines not only what we do in life, but how well we do it. And the interesting thing is, as we watch Jesus answer those questions, he answers them very differently than you and I naturally tend to. So there's a lot here for us to learn. So I'm going to go back and read the story, and here's how it begins. Now, Jesus is 30 years of age. He's 30 years of age, and up to this point, he's just been a kid. He's been a teenager. He started working in his stepfather's carpenter shop. He's built a few tables and chairs, maybe helped build a house or two. He's 30 years of age, and he's ready to start a brand new career as a rabbi for which he is not trained at all. Okay? So with that as the backdrop, here's how the story begins. Jesus uh, Jesus goes to John to be baptized, and that's sort of the kickoff event. So as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God. Now, God's going to give his son some real help in in these basic questions of life. And we'll watch it unfold here. So he sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, and this is what we've really focused on the last three weeks, these three statements. Number one, this is my son. And that's the first element of the blessing. And that is this identity thing. Number two, whom I love. And that's this whole security thing. That's this whole love thing. And then last of all, with him I am well pleased. And that's the whole approval thing. And again, I want to remind all of us, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. So what happens next? Well, what happens next is a straight-on battle. It's the same thing that you and I face every time we attempt to step out in faith and do anything that God calls us to do that seems to be beyond our grasp, that God calls us to do that stretches us well beyond our comfort zone. Every time we go to do that, we can expect a straight-on challenge from the enemy. And that's what Jesus gets. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Wow. Can you imagine this? The king of the universe and the king of hell duking it out in the desert. There's some heavy stuff going on there. Here's how it came down. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted. And here's the understatement in the Bible. And became very hungry. Yeah. During that time, the devil came and said, and here it is, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus said to him, no, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you grew up in church, you've read that a hundred times and you go, way to go, Jesus. You blew him out of the saddle with scripture. And if you grew up in churches like I grew up in, 
That was one of the reasons we were told to memorize the Bible, because if you want to blow Satan out of the, out of the saddle, you just quote scripture at him, and, and it's his kryptonite. You know, he just wilts. There's a whole lot more going on there than that. Because what Satan is actually attacking is Jesus' identity. What was the first word that Satan said? If. Not because you're the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. How could you be so sure that you are the Son of God? Huh. You see, identity, our identity, continually raises the question in us, who am I? Who am I really? Did you know you're answering that question every day, multiple times every day? Sheila Heen, in her great book on feedback, defines identity as this. Identity is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. So the question is, whose story about yourself are you buying into? I want you to think about this for a minute. If, if, if you, if your life is like a boat on the open ocean, your identity is your anchor point that keeps your boat from being tossed and blown about and swept away with currents and taken wherever the ocean currents would take it. But if you anchor your identity to your accomplishments, huh, that's not unshakable because you could fail and you will fail. And now you've lost your identity. You can't anchor your identity to, to how much money you have. You can't, any of these things, what kind of car you drive, what zip code you live in, how talented you are, how beautiful you are. You can't anchor, I mean, you can, but if you anchor your identity to any of those things, you have no real security in life because what you have tethered your identity to is not unshakable so Satan comes to Jesus and says dude how can you be sure that you are the son of God I don't see any evidence what have you done dude you're 30 what have you done you made a few chairs huh And you think you're the son of God. Come on, man. Give me some evidence. Actually, Jesus, I think you need some evidence. How can you be sure you're the son of God? I got an idea. You're hungry, dude, right? See these rocks? Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? And then you'll have reason to believe you're the son of God. Because right now, you got nothing. Battle. Huh. So what does Jesus say? Look at this. Jesus said people live. Do you want to live? Do you really want to live? 
Do you, do you want to live in such a way that your life can splash out on everyone around you and bless everyone around you? Do you want to have, do you want to be full, full of that kind of life? If you really want to live, Jesus said, here's the answer. People live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What did God just say 40 days prior? This is what? My son. I don't need to perform any miracle to approve that I am the son of God. God said it about me. I get it. I'm in. Huh? Listen to me. If you and I could do just that, instead of trying to earn our identity by impressing the people around us so we could feel good about ourselves, if you and I could just hear what God says about us when he says, you are my sons and my daughters. And I am your father. That's how people live. And what Jesus is saying, here it is. The key to an unshakable identity is telling myself the same story that God tells about me. Are you on board with that? That's a big thing. That's a very big thing. It's one of the reasons why last week we challenged you to go home and spend 15 minutes every day just to reaffirm to yourself what God says about you. I am God's child. That's not just God's story about me. That's my story about myself. So Satan's not done. He realizes, I cannot shake Jesus' identity because God just said, you are my son. And by golly, Jesus believed it. Huh. Okay, well, if I can't strike at his identity, well, then I'm going to strike at the second big question that all of us have in life, this question of security. And the question that underlies the concept of security is, am I safe? Because anytime you and I do not feel safe, we do not feel secure, correct? And every time we feel, we feel safe, we feel secure. We can breathe easier. So let's watch this battle unfold. So then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, if you are the son of God, there's that phrase again, if you are the son of God, only this time from a different standpoint, jump off. Wow. Jump off. Yeah. For the scriptures say, Satan is no dummy. So he, he hits Jesus with this first temptation. And Jesus comes back with a passage of scripture that keeps him on the rails. And Satan thinks, if I'm ever going to get him off the rails, I got to give some scripture to this guy. So here is the, here is the devil quoting the Bible. Misapplying it, yes, but quoting it. All right, here we go. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus says, ha, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. 
Let's talk about security for a minute. This time, Satan says, if you are the son of God, and the, in, the, in the first time he says that, he's questioning, how can you know you're the son of God? And now he's, now he's honing in on the idea of Jesus being the son and the father being the father. And what he's actually saying is, how can you be sure that God loves you? Hmm. Do you and I ever struggle with that? Only when we're honest. Yeah, we all do. How can I be sure that God loves me? If you are the son of God, am I secure? Am I safe? Here's what I do know. I feel safe only when I know I am loved without reservation and without qualification. If you're, if you're in the mood to take some notes, I'll give you something to write down, okay? Some of us were raised by parents who often said this, I love you, but. You ever hear that from your parents? And you knew what was coming after that was not an increase in your allowance. When they said, I love you, but, you knew that the but far outweighed the love, all right? Because what was coming after that was not good. Can I tell you that God loves you, but never with an I love you, but? Never. Huh. God also never loves you with an I I love you if. The first is without reservation and the second is without qualification. And when you and I know that we are loved, we feel secure. One of the things that I end up doing uh, as a pastor, um, that's, that's hard. It's very hard. But I end up standing in the hospital room with a, beside the bed of people who are passing from this life. And, and it's interesting when life has reduced to its barest necessities. It's interesting how we all get it right. Nobody ever gets it wrong. Ever. I've done that hundreds of times. I've never ever had a single person when I walked in the room say, what kind of car did you drive? Because they don't care. What school did you go to? What was your GPA? What's your net worth, by the way? No one cares. No one even cares where I bought my shirt. In life. When life is reduced to its barest minimums, we all get it right. Because you know the only thing people want in the room when they're passing. I want the people who love me most, the people who love me without reservation or qualification. Because in the toughest journey of my life, the only thing that will bring me security is to know that I am loved without qualification and without reservation. Bring me those people. Now, here's the interesting thing. Satan says the key to feeling love is testing. Hey, dude, how do you know God loves you? You haven't done anything yet. How do you know God loves you? You got to test him. I got an idea. Why don't you jump off? And if God really loves you, he will jump in and save you.
Do you know how many times you and I sort of play that same game? How do I know God loves me? Oh, well, here's my test. If nothing bad happens to my loved one, if nothing bad happens to my kid, if nothing bad happens to me. The reason I know we test him that way is because when something bad does happen, what's our two-word question? Why me? Yeah. So, Jesus said, the key to feeling loved is not testing. The key to feeling love is trusting. So he said, you know what? I'm not going to test God. I am going to believe God because he just said to me, you are my son whom I what? Love. Yeah. Satan's not done. Let's jump through this third one. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, I will give it all to you. It's all yours. If you'll just kneel down and worship me. Now, listen, I don't think it was probably a big temptation for Jesus to want to kneel down and worship Satan. I'm pretty sure that that wasn't a big temptation. I'm pretty sure if Satan showed up in your world today and said, why don't you worship me and I'll make you beautiful and make you sing wonderfully. Most of us would probably go, nah, I'm not in on that. But there's this whole thing of, hey, Jesus. Can we just talk turkey here for a minute? It's my understanding that you left heaven and came to earth to change the world. Is that right? Yeah. And you think you're going to change the world in three years? Hey, dude, I got a reality check for you. So you're 30... And you're going to be dead at 33. You're 90% dead. Do you realize that? Oh, by the way, you're going to write a book? No. You're going to leverage social media? Nope. You're going to do a world tour? Nope. I know why. I get it. No one's going to listen to you. Why would they? All you've done is built a few chairs. What makes you think that you could do anything significant with your life? What makes you think your life actually matters? Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Huh. Compare this. Satan says, I will give it all to you. You want to be somebody? All you got to do is worship me and I'll make you somebody. I will make you the ruler of everything that you can see and you'll have an instantaneous audience and then you can change the world. But this whole plan of being a rabbi for three years and not writing a book and not going anywhere and not really doing anything that has no chance to succeed. You got to have a big plan. Try mine. Huh. 
You see, the dictionary says significance is something that has influence or effect. And every single one of us has that question. Will my life count? Jesus was struggling with that question. And Satan came back with a question that you and I face all the time. How can you be sure you've done enough in order to be significant? Jesus came back with worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus said, and I want, I want all of us to get this. Jesus will make my life significant. My part is to engage with him. Now put your notes down for a minute. Let's just talk and then I'll show us one more slide. The most common, uh, most often given invitation that Jesus gave throughout his entire life was just two words. Follow me. And what he's saying to you and me today is if you want an unshakable identity, it's not in the decision to become a Christian and go, okay, I'll wear the Christian label. It's not that. If you want to have it, if you want to have an identity that's unshakable, set your identity the way Jesus set his. And he said, my identity is not anything I've done. My identity is in the fact that God said, I'm his son. I'm in. If you want to have security and know that you are safe, don't continually test God and test other people and make everything a test, but trade your testing in for trusting. Because God says, I love you without reservation and without qualification. And if you want your life to count, then instead of trying to make something of yourself, come and follow Jesus and watch what God will do through you. There was a guy, by the way, this whole story, you know who it was written by? It was documented by a guy who had no one's approval. None at all. Do I have time to tell you that story? Until he met Jesus. He was a social outcast, born on the wrong side of the tracks, and doing things that no one approved of. He was Matthew the tax collector. But he would never forget the day that he met Jesus. And God gave him a new identity, and a new security, and new significance. There was another guy like that. He put all of his significance in his accomplishments until the day he met Jesus. And he chose to follow Jesus. And Jesus reset his identity. He reset his sense of love and and safety and security. And he reset his sense of significance. And he became, instead of a persecutor of Jesus, he became a follower. And he wrote this to his friends, to fellow Christians in in a town called Ephesus. And he said this, we are God's masterpiece. Wow, you want some identity? We are God's masterpiece. 
created anew in Christ Jesus. You want some love and security, and you want to know that you are loved without reservation or qualification? There it is. So that what? (laughs) We can do the good things God has planned for us long ago. You want some significance? Follow Christ and watch what God does through you. Just a couple of years ago, the band Journey was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I began this teaching by telling you a story about Prince. Now I want to tell you a story about Jonathan Cain. He's a keyboardist for Journey, co-wrote many of their great songs, many of their hits. It was after his dad passed that he co-authored one of Journey's biggest hits. And he wrote it in tribute of his dad, who continually said to him, Jonathan, don't stop believing in yourself. It's my prayer that you could hear that from your dad. Don't stop believing. Let's pray. God, thank you for challenging us with Jesus' life. Jesus, thank you for inviting us on this unbelievable journey where we get to have our identity set and we get to have that question, who am I, forever established and we can live in that and anchor our boat to it. And and no matter what life throws at us, it will not shake us from that unshakable truth that we are your kids. And thank you for answering for us that question of am I safe? Do I really have security in life? And thank you for teaching us that we are as safe as God's love is safe. And thank you for inviting us along on a journey of significance. And we cannot wait to see what you do through us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.